0: my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 569. Welcome in. Hope we have a nice episode today. Huh? Huh? You know, it's kind of sad. Episode 420 came and went like a long time ago. Now, probably, I don't even rem- I don't remember it happening. I don't remember making an event out of it. I wish I could go back in time and enjoy that moment. I'm sure I made some little joke on episode 420, but I, I, I don't know that it would have been professional to make it a whole event, but it would have been funny, and I, I didn't do that. Missed opportunity there. Uh, yesterday was National Movie Theater Day. Uh, there were $4 tickets. I went to the theater. I went and saw Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, the Christopher Nolan film. And I feel like I'm still kind of digesting it. It's a Christopher Nolan film, meaning you probably want to see it more than once. Uh, I don't know when I will see it a second time. I will at some point, though. It'll help me understand it better. It was all about you know the making of the atomic thing. I'm not going to say it. You, know, you can't early on on a YouTube video, you can't say a harsh words, So I got to be very careful there. Uh, it's a heavy movie. Great music. And it made me want to read more about Oppenheimer, the subject. So it's that's what a Christopher Nolan movie does. It makes you think about it even more. And the more you watch it, the more you understand it. My big takeaway is this. I still feel like after watching Oppenheimer, Interstellar is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie of all time. I love pretty much all of them. And I still feel like Tenet is by far the worst Christopher Nolan film. So, you know, it's just somewhere in the middle of all of the Christopher Nolan films I've seen. It lands somewhere in the middle. It's really good. It's really heavy. It's certainly not light or fun. It's heavy, and I felt emotionally exhausted after watching it, but it's a good time, and I liked it. And if you've watched it, too, uh, I, did anyone... I don't know if it's just a thing here in Hawaii, the National Theater Day, the $4 tickets. It was here. I went to the Kaka'ako uh, local theater, the, the ward. Uh, what do they call it? The, the Hawaii... Gosh, there's a Consolidated theaters. So they've got, like, the cool... If you ever get to watch a, a, a movie at a Hawaii consolidated theater... The intro is amazing. Like, it's like a 90s video. They're doing a dance. They've got these horns playing. It's amazing. It's like old. It's in like 720p, maybe even 480. It's so lo-fi and really, really interesting, their, their intro for their theater. Anyway, I'm rambling now, but I watched Oppenheimer. Really liked it. Let me know what you thought about it. Let's dive into football. We'll start with this. Uh, I watched uh, this weekend Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett Played in two drives during preseason week three. Against Atlanta, he was four for four with 86 yards. He played for two drives. That led to two touchdowns. Hit a really nice throw down the left sideline on a third and five to Deontay Johnson. I loved it. It was, for me, it felt like evidence that his relationship, Deontay Johnson and Kenny Pickett, they're going to have better chemistry this year than they had last year. Which is like a key, crucial thing, I think, for them to be really successful and for Kenny Pickett to have a great year. He was on the same page with George Pickens last year. Deontay Johnson's the guy. He missed a couple times in critical moments that cost them. And uh, so far, it looks like Kenny Pickett and Deontay Johnson are on the same page as well. Now, during the preseason, Kenny Pickett had five drives. uh, And all five led to a Pittsburgh touchdown. Five drives, five touchdowns. During the preseason, Kenny Pickett had two touchdowns incomplete passes. He looked phenomenal. Kenny Pickett, in my opinion, is poised to have a really great year, take a huge step forward in year two, and look fantastic. Kenny Pickett is the most encouraging thing I saw probably all of the NFL preseason, where I was like, I believe in this player, the film says he's going to do better, and when you watch the preseason games, he looks phenomenal. It's really cool to see. Now, Kenny Pickett is out there on one side, I don't want to come down harsh on the player I'm about to talk about next, right? Just because I saw some stuff that made me pause during the preseason about this player I'm about to talk about. Just because I saw stuff that made me go, I don't feel great. Doesn't mean he can't have a great year, right? I'm just gonna, uh, I'm about to share with you a concerning thing I saw during the preseason. One of the few things I saw during the preseason with a starting quarterback where I went, hmm, I don't love that. We'll see. This past weekend, I watched Bears quarterback Justin Fields play against Buffalo in the third preseason game for the Bears. He was two for six passing, had 51 yards through the air, three drives, three and out, three and out. And then near the end of the third drive, he got taken out. It was very bizarre. The first quarter ended on a third and 10 they let him play one play in the second quarter. He third and ten threw a screen pass, went for a first down, and they're like, hey, now that it's first and goal, Justin, drive is over. We're gonna take you out of the game. They ended up settling for a field goal. Very weird to see a starting quarterback. I understand the first quarter finished, but it, like let him finish the drive. It was so weird. Unless you're really, really opposed to showing what you're gonna do in the red zone with Justin Fields. I, I don't know what's going on there. It was bizarre. You rarely see that, where a player just gets taken out mid-drive. But here's what I saw that concerned me for Justin Fields during the preseason this fall. Going into year three, we are hoping that Justin Fields takes a big step forward as a passer. More accurate downfield, better ball location. And I will say the preseason for him was not super encouraging if you're looking for better ball placement. What we saw was a lot of screen passes. In fact, multiple that were taken for long touchdowns. And by the way, the Bears' screen game, phenomenal. Better than almost any team I saw during the preseason. They are in a great spot when it comes to their offensive line running screens. However, the times Justin Fields had one-on-one coverage downfield, his ball placement wasn't great. He had opportunities down the sideline. He had people in one-on-one coverage, and he didn't throw them open, and he didn't even throw a great ball. Like, when you watch Kenny Pickett during the preseason this, fall, this year, it was obvious he is a head and shoulders better quarterback. I can't say that about Justin Fields. I can't say he's like a bad quarterback. I can't say he's worse. There's nothing that Justin Fields did that was like, that's just awful. That's wrong. He's not a worse quarterback. But I didn't see overwhelming evidence that Justin Fields is a much better quarterback. Does that make sense in the difference? I'm not saying he's going to be horrible. But I waited and I watched. And at this point, I've accepted that I'm just hoping Justin Fields is going to be better during the regular season. I haven't seen evidence of that yet. Watched a Buffalo game this past weekend. Multiple times, Justin Fields had a receiver in one-on-one coverage down the sideline and he threw a bad ball. Bad ball placement. Had an opportunity for a back shoulder fade to DJ Moore and he missed. It wasn't even on the back shoulder. Threw it to the front shoulder for some reason closer to the defender. No chance for DJ Moore to make a play there. Had to throw to Darnell Mooney down the sideline. Bad ball. And you're like, look, the number one thing we're hoping to see from Justin Fields this year, we didn't see during the preseason. Now, you can't read too much. It's the preseason, right? We're going to wait and see. I don't want to come down to the hammer and say, Justin Fields isn't a better quarterback. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is I didn't see evidence yet to prove that Justin Fields is going to be a better quarterback this year throwing the ball downfield. I don't love that. And, again, I am not comfortable saying that he's way better. I'm hoping he's way better, but hope versus confirmation and evidence are a different thing. And so it's worth noting about Justin Fields. If he doesn't have a better year throwing the football, the signs were there during the preseason. All right. Uh, This past weekend, we also saw... Aaron Rodgers played for the first time in a Jets uniform. It was glorious. It was cool. You love to see it. And, you know, preseason week three, Jets, Giants, Aaron plays for the first time. Aaron was okay. It was fine. He had a really bad miss. T.J. Uzama was open down the middle of the field. Aaron mailed the throw. Very rare to see Aaron Rodgers miss an open receiver where you're like, oh, that's a, that's a rare miss. On the day Aaron was five for eight for 47 yards and it had a touchdown pass. There's a play that really, really stuck in my mind. It was a second and twelve. The Giants brought pressure. They blitzed seven guys, brought them after Aaron Rodgers. And on the right side of the field, the slant was open. That and that's to me, I've always been taught the way you beat a blitz is you get the ball out really quick and you find your best matchup and throw the ball there. Aaron threw kind of a weird pass that wasn't really near anybody. The slant was open on the right side. He's looking left, threw the ball near, and nobody's there. You're like, well, I don't know what's happening here. I, I, you know, it's the preseason. You never know what's happening. Maybe Aaron doesn't trust the slant that was open. He doesn't trust that receiver. I'm not sure, but it's very rare to me. I see a quarterback who is a future Hall of Famer like Aaron Rodgers make a play that I'm like, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. It was surprising. He had a best, his best matchup was on the right. And he didn't take it. And I am used to watching Aaron Rodgers get blitzed and make you pay. He didn't do that. Now, it's a preseason. Don't want to read too much into it. But it was a bit awkward. I was like, huh, that's a weird play. Aaron played for two drives. Drive number one was a punt. Uh, and that, the first drive was kind of ruined by a blindside block. That led to that second 12 I talked about. Second 12, he's under pressure. Doesn't really throw in the area of anybody. On 3rd and 12, Aaron was under a ton of pressure again. This time had to run for his life. Had to throw the ball away. And uh, the Giants just traded a 7th round pick for Isaiah Simmons, a former number 8 overall pick in Arizona. Isaiah Simmons, in his first opportunity to play with the Giants, already made an impact on that 3rd and 12. He got pressure on Aaron, made Aaron have to leave the pocket. Kind of cool, kind of interesting. What if Isaiah Simmons becomes... We talk a lot about the trades that were were made this offseason. I don't think anyone's really saying, hey, Isaiah Simmons could be a massive steal for the Giants with a defensive coordinator who loves to bring blitzes and bring pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Isaiah Simmons is really quick. He's a great athlete. I don't know what he's going to do in a Giants uniform, but getting after the quarterback using his speed there on that third and 12, I was like, huh, Wink Martindale might have something going on with the Giants defense. Now, the second drive for Aaron led to a touchdown, although this one is another one where I I would even argue he got kind of lucky because on a third and four, there was a defensive pass interference called on the right sideline that, you know, I guess technically it's pass interference, but it could have gone either way. You could have even called it offensive pass interference. So I would argue that the good ending to Aaron's drive, which was, in fact, a beautiful touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson, which you can not deny was a beautiful throw on a fade, Left side of the field, perfect throw. You're like, ah, there it is. That's Aaron Rodgers and classic Aaron. But that play, that amazing touchdown pass, would have never happened without help from the defense. And so it was just kind of a weird, concerning day. Like, not the best I've ever seen Aaron. And one drive ruined by a penalty. Another drive helped by a call from the refs. And the only concern I have about this Jets football team, they've got playmakers at receiver. They've got a championship level defense, but the number one concern, and really the only concern I have about the Jets, their running back room is loaded. Receivers are good. Defense is good. Quarterback's a Hall of Famer, but their offensive line is a concern in New York. Can they protect Aaron Rodgers? I'm not sure. And what I saw in the preseason game week three against the Giants, it did not help to reassure me. Didn't make me feel better. What I saw was a lot of Aaron Rodgers running for his life. Hmm. Is that going to be a theme all year? I'm worried it's going to be a theme all year. Don't love that. The Jets' first six games are brutal. They play Buffalo. They play Dallas, who's got an incredible pass rush. New England, Kansas City, Denver, and Philly. I think Denver's a much better team than they were last year. Denver's your easy game. That's... (laughs) You're looking at maybe one and five, two and four. Like the Jets do not have any room for a slow start. Then they got a bye week, week seven. And week eight, they play the Giants, who by the way, are going to bring a ton of pressure. We just saw it in preseason week three. The Giants are going to bring a ton of pressure after Aaron Rodgers week eight. My number one concern about the Jets is their offensive line. And the little glimpse we saw of Aaron Rodgers playing in the preseason did not reassure me. Didn't make me feel better. Like, oh, they figured it out. Somehow, magically, in a month, they made that offensive line really good. Uh, again, I, I believe, in my, my humble opinion, this is a building year for the Jets where they've got almost everything they need. But the offensive line is a problem. Next year, they could be a Super Bowl contender. But they've got a brutal start. They've got a concerning offensive line that I think is still a player or two away from being a truly great offensive line, like they need. I want to pump the brakes on Aaron Rodgers, Jets, Super Bowl this year. It's not the same situation Tom Brady walked into at Tampa. Tom Brady went to Tampa, who had playmakers everywhere, a great offensive line, and a weaker division. Aaron Rodgers is in, I would argue, the second toughest division in football. It's either the AFC East or the AFC North. There's loaded football teams regardless. Miami, New England, Buffalo. They're going to play each of them twice this year. A brutal schedule to start the year. Those first six games don't even have Miami in them. I am am already feeling really nervous for Aaron. And watching him run for his life on that third and 12 made me go, that's going to be a lot of his year. And he's got to be able to beat a blitz. He's got to be able to beat pressure. And the real concerning thing is if a team isn't blitzing but still can get pressure on Aaron, where they're dropping seven into coverage, only bringing four after the quarterback, if you can still get after Aaron, game over. And we've never had to see Aaron play under that condition in his entire NFL career. I'm not sure he can. It's going to limit your entire offense. Aaron can make amazing, beautiful throws like seven yards downfield. Garrett Wilson's a deep threat. I love it. But it's not going to matter if Aaron's on his back. If he doesn't have time to allow things to develop downfield anyway, who cares how great your arm is? You're going to be running quick game all day, just trying to survive. And so I hope I'm wrong. I, I love the story. Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets. It's amazing. They win a Super Bowl. I love that idea. The Jets have been basically awful my entire life, other than a brief stint with Mark Sanchez and Rex Ryan. But I currently can't allow myself to believe in what's going to happen there. I I am emotionally guarding my heart. I'm like, I want it to work. I'm rooting for that. But it might not be till next year they really figure it out in New York. And unfortunately, optically for Aaron, that's going to be really bad. Aaron leaves Green Bay. The guy he's compared to often is Tom Brady. Tom Brady went to Tampa, won a Super Bowl year one. Aaron's been saying for years, I just want better, everyone's been saying on Aaron's behalf for years, we want to see Aaron play with great receivers and have a truly good defense and have a great running game. He's got all of that in New York and still might not win because the offensive line isn't good enough. So optically, if they lose, it's going to be a disaster for him. And I'm I'm fascinated, man. I don't know what to make of it. I'm not feeling great. Those Buffalo, Dallas, New England, Kansas City, Denver, Philly, That's a brutal start to your year. Two of the best defensive lines in all of football. Dallas and Philly. The Bills aren't far behind. Kansas City can get after the quarterback, and they've got Patrick Mahomes. Bill Belichick's defense, which is going to be incredible this year. I don't know what to make of Denver. That feels like a win for the Jets, but man, um, I am concerned it's going to be an ugly year for the Jets. I hope I'm wrong, but preseason game week three, Our preseason week three against the the Jets against the Giants. It didn't reassure me. Didn't make me feel better for Aaron. Okay, there's some news today. There's one bit of news. Then there's kind of a rumor or report that we're going to wait on to see if it comes to fruition on Tuesday, tomorrow. But the news today, something we can confirm for sure, is that the Cardinals have cut their quarterback, Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy's out. Uh, The other thing, the piece of news here, it's a report or a rumor that will be confirmed by 4 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow, is that Arizona does not plan to activate their starting quarterback, Kyler Murray, off of the physically unable to perform list, the pup list, as we normally refer to it as. So Arizona cut Colt McCoy, their current starting quarterback, who was their starting quarterback all through training camp and all through the preseason. For like a month and a half, he was presumed to be their week one starter. He took all the reps during practice. He did everything. And then right before the season starts, they cut him. (laughs) What's happening here? Here's what it reminds me of. I love the movie Moneyball. It's probably, I would say it's the best sports movie ever. It's my favorite one ever. Best versus favorite. I don't really care. It may not be the best. It's definitely my favorite sports movie. Moneyball's amazing. It's a movie that, my girlfriend who doesn't watch sports I think would actually enjoy. It's just an interesting, interesting psychological story about a man, Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean trying to win. But in that movie, I don't, Felix, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Art something, I can't remember the name of the the manager at the time, but Brad Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman, Brad Pitt's a GM, Seymour Hoffman is a coach. Brad Pitt's character says, hey, I want this guy to play. And the, the coach refuses to play start the guys he wants to play. So the only way the general manager is able to get his way is by literally getting rid of players, trading them or cutting them, saying, hey, we got rid of him. Now you got to do what I want. It kind of feels like that. I wonder if the Cardinals coaching staff says, hey, Colt McCoy is our best quarterback. He's going to give us the best opportunity to win. And the Arizona general manager doesn't want to win. He's like, we got two first round picks next year, potentially both top five picks We're going to be awful anyway. Why don't we sabotage our team? You can't try to lose games. The way you tank in the NFL is by building the worst team you possibly can and then trying to win with that hot garbage. And that's exactly what the Cardinals have done, in my opinion. I get a lot of hatred and anger from Cardinals fans when I point that out. But then I... (laughs) you, The week before the season starts, you cut your starting quarterback... Oh, and we find out your, your true starting quarterback, who was your starter till he got hurt, Kyler Murray, tor- recovering from a torn ACL, is now not able to play in the first four weeks. He's on the pup list. And 21 days after he starts practicing, they have to either activate him or he can't play all year. So Kyler Murray may not play all year next year. And now we find all year this year, excuse me. And now we find out your starting quarterback week one is either going to be a rookie fifth run pick, Clayton Toon out of Houston. Or Josh Dobbs, a career backup quarterback who he just traded for on Friday. A guy who just entered the building this weekend. Might be starting next week in week one for the Cardinals. Tell me again how Arizona isn't tanking. I don't believe you. I am so tired of hearing from Cardinals fans saying, I'm crazy. I'm wrong. No, no, no. (laughs) They're not trying to win. It could not be more obvious during the offseason. They had the most money available during free agency and did nothing. They got rid of DeAndre Hopkins. They just traded Isaiah Simmons away. They just traded an offensive lineman. They cut Colt McCoy. What isn't making sense to anybody? This team isn't trying to win. They are intentionally making decisions as an organization that make it harder for them to win football games. And that is tanking. And by the way, I support it. It's a brilliant move. That's exactly what you should do. You're already an awful football team. If you can get two top five picks next year, you can rebuild everything. It's a brilliant opportunity. Playing Kyler Murray doesn't help you. First of all, he's still walking with a limp, supposedly. It's he he hasn't practiced. He can't really walk. I don't know why you would risk Kyler Murray's health long-term to play him in a season that already feels lost. And if you play him... And he's amazing, and you win a couple games, you're not going to get the number one pick, so then you're screwed. And if you play him, and he's injured and not the same and can't play well, then you can't trade him away for anything. So it's a lose-lose situation to play Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's not going to play. Their weak one starting quarterback's either going to be a guy who's been there since the weekend or Clayton a fifth-round rookie pick. I am telling you, a fifth-round pick rookie. I said that backwards. Regardless, Arizona's tanking. It could not be more obvious if it hits you in the face. And yet somehow Cardinals fans are still in denial. I don't understand. And I don't know why they're not cheering for it. If your team is tanking, yes, it's going to be a brutal year this year. You're going to be awful. Win like one game. But then you're set up in a pretty good spot to rebuild your entire franchise. And that sounds really appealing to me if I was a Cardinals fan. So I just don't get it. Um, I, I... I don't think it could be more clear the Cardinals are not trying to win. And if you disagree, no problem, but we just do not see eye to eye if you think the Cardinals aren't tanking this year. All right, let's talk about Tampa. First of all, this past weekend, I watched Baker Mayfield play quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against Baltimore. He looked really good, man. Baker was six for six, had 43 yards and a touchdown pass. Beautiful throw over the middle to Chris Godwin. Up and over a linebacker, right into a perfect window. Beautiful throw. We love that. And, um, man, am I fascinated how Baker's going to do this year. I don't know what to make of it. If I look at Baker right now, man, he's played some good football in the past. It's been up and down, kind of a roller coaster. But the best of Baker, pretty dang good. They've got two really good receivers. They've got a really good defense. They're in a really weak division that feels like it's up for grabs. I don't know what's going to happen with Baker, but I'm rooting hard for this guy. I want to see him win. Now, there is some bad news worth noting in Tampa. Their starting center, Ryan Jensen, is now out for the year. And I want to actually kind of come at this with a level of compassion. I'm actually worried for Ryan Jensen and his life after football. It's, it's really bad. I mean, he hurt his knee last year in training camp. That's not this year in training camp. That's last year. In 2022, a year ago, literally a year from today. I mean, not today, but this time last year is when Ryan Jensen hurt his knee. Now, after trying to make a comeback and trying to get ready for the season, Ryan Jensen's knee is just not where it needs to be, and he's on the injured reserve. He's been ruled out for the year. Ryan Jensen is out for the year. Tampa starting center. First of all, that's not good. They tried everything. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at this. They tried to. I mean, they tried stem cells. They He's been recovering, been waiting, rehabbing, everything. I worry for like his wife and kids, man, because that's the kind of thing, this kind of horrific injury keeps you from like getting down on the ground and playing with your kids and playing Legos or something. It's, it's really not good. And if you're a person who loves football, this is the part of football I don't like is when guys can't walk after they retire. So that's, that's scary for me. Ryan Jensen, he's a great center and he's not going to play all year. So I'm worried for him as a human. I also want to take note that as far as Tampa goes now, they've only got one offensive lineman left from their 2020 Super Bowl team. Ryan Jensen's gone. Everyone else is gone. Tristan Wirfs is the lone player from that Super Bowl team left on the offensive line. The once great offensive line now is a bit more suspect in Tampa. And by the way, Tristan Wirfs, who's been an excellent player, like, Amazing right tackle. He's now moving from right tackle to left tackle. The blind side of Baker Mayfield. Going to be going up against better pass rushers who are a little bit tougher to defend, or tougher to stop, or tougher to block. Whatever the right word is there. So, man, I you know, Tampa's interesting. Some good players. Baker Mayfield. A lot of potential there. A weaker division. It feels like anything can happen. But losing Ryan Jensen is a blow to your offensive line and. Um, I just hope this man can literally sit on the ground with his kids when he's older. Like, I, you know, one of the few things that scares me in my life is lack of mobility. I, you know, I often wonder, what would I rather lose? My hearing, my eyes. I think I'd rather lose my hearing so I could still read and like watch stuff or play games. But the number one thing I would least like to lose is my ability to walk and be mobile. And so uh, on a human level, I worry for Ryan Jensen that... You know, can he walk when he retires? That's a, a real big concern that I, I hope um, isn't a problem for him. Now, uh, let's talk about the 49ers and their quarterbacks. I absolutely love what the 49ers have at quarterback right now. I want to be clear. I feel like somehow I have done a bad job when talking about Brock Purdy. I made people think I don't like him or I think he sucks or somehow, Um I watched 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy play this past weekend against the Chargers. He was 5 for 9, had 73 yards. He had a touchdown drive, actually ran for a touchdown. Should have had two touchdown drives, by the way. He set him up for a first and goal, and then second and goal. Their running back, JP Jordan Mason, fumbled. So he should have really had two drives, two touchdowns. The reason why people think I don't like Brock Purdy, if you are one of those people, is because I've said Brock Purdy's not exciting. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's never going to run around and make insane throws downfield. He's not exciting, but he is effective. To me, Brock Purdy, what I see is a better version of the 49ers' former quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. He's cheaper. He makes fewer bad decisions. I hope he's less injury prone. Here is exactly what Brock Purdy is. He's a distributor. He's not a playmaker. He's a distributor. His job is to get the ball in the hands of the 49ers' true playmakers. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. The guys who are going to make big plays get the ball from Brock Purdy, but Brock Purdy isn't doing the heavy lifting. He's making good decisions, playing within the structure of the offense, doing the little things right. Frankly, Brock Purdy is exactly what a Kyle Shanahan quarterback needs to be. Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the 49ers, running his system— You got to have good anticipation, got to be accurate, great timing, make good decisions, be able to handle the tough play calls and the heavy mental load that the offense requires. Brock Purdy is exactly that. Now, the one thing I cannot wait to see from Brock Purdy, the thing that feels like he might be really good at, I want to see Brock Purdy in a big moment, in a big game in the fourth quarter. How does he handle that moment? I suspect. I get the impression Brock Purdy will be totally unfazed by a big moment. He comes across just as calm, cool, collected, totally easygoing. And I would imagine when the bright lights come on in a really important game at the end in the fourth quarter, he'll deliver. I really believe in Brock Purdy. I like him. He's not an insane, crazy playmaker. I don't think you should pay him $50 million a year. That would be a terrible contract. But what he does do well, he does exceptionally well. He's a, he's a distributor, he's accurate, he's got good timing. I love Brock Purdy, he's an amazing story. And if anyone thinks I don't like him, I mean I've been very I've been praising Sam Darnold, their backup quarterback, a ton, because what I see is really good. But Brock Purdy's the man. He's a starting quarterback for a reason. And uh, man, I, I like the guy, man. He's so good. Now Let's talk about Sam Darnold, though, because I think the 49ers backup quarterback, Sam Darnold, is really interesting. He's a guy who, during his career, it's been ugly. He played with the Jets, was on a horrible football team with a horrible head coach. It didn't work out. Adam Gase, I mean, I think Adam Gase kind of ruined him. It's really frustrating. He's a quarterback who's really talented, has a lot of potential, but has never been on a good team with a good coach. They went to Carolina. They were hoping you would work there. There's a reason Matt Rule got fired by Carolina. What he's got in San Francisco is the best team around him he's ever had, the best coaching staff he's ever had, and somehow for Sam Darnold, because he's not the starting quarterback, there's no expectations. He's not a top-five pick there. He's not brought in like he was brought into Carolina to be the savior and the franchise quarterback. No, no, he comes to San Francisco humbly as a backup, totally unassuming. And Sam looks really good. This weekend, he was 6 for 11, 89 yards, had a touchdown pass. I said something about Brock Purdy. I said Brock Purdy's not much of a playmaker. He works within the structure of the offense, but anytime you ask him to do more than run the system, I don't think he's going to succeed. Sam Darnold is a playmaker. He's got a bigger arm than Brock Purdy. There's a couple throws during the preseason down the sideline. Way downfield, deep down the sideline on a go route where you're like, that's a damn near beautiful, perfect ball from Sam Darnold. He had a throw to Chris Conley this weekend. I was like, okay, Sam, that's that's legit. I haven't seen Brock Purdy make that kind of throw, that high arcing moon ball down the sideline. Sam can run around and make plays and make stuff happen when plays break down outside of structure as well as for the first time in Sam Darnold's career that I've ever seen, inside of the offense, in the structure of the system, he looks fantastic. He knows it really well. He's comfortable. He's got playmakers around him. He's well-protected. The 49ers quarterback room is so interesting because they've got two guys that I think can play. And I almost wonder if Sam Darnold's better than Brock Purdy. We will not know the answer to that unless Brock Purdy gets injured because there is no reason unless Brock Purdy is horrible and losing, that you're going to play Sam Darnold. But I think if Sam Darnold gets an opportunity, he's going to play really, really well for the 49ers. But it may not matter at all, because I think Brock Purdy's a winner, who makes great decisions, is accurate. He's a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, man, I love what the 49ers have. They're so lucky. Their fan base is just... I think the only other fan base I can think of that's more lucky than them, well, I think of the Patriots fan base with Brady for years, but the Packers, to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to now Jordan Love. I mean, it's amazing. So, man, um, I'm just really fascinated. I'm going to watch the 49ers closely all year. I think Brock Purdy is going to do very well. And if anything happens to him, Sam Darnold will be ready. Now, um, a story that I think is just cool and interesting. During the preseason, I got to know Tyson Bagent. At first, I called him Bajent. I didn't know how to say his name, actually. Like, he was so out of the box for me. I was like, how do I even say his name? It's B-Agent, Bajent. He's a rookie undrafted free agent out of a Division II college Shepard. Where is Shepard? Division II football, huh? Now it looks like Tyson Bajent is going to be the number two quarterback in Chicago. It's going to be him or Nathan Peterman. And in preseason week three, He was the next guy off the bench after Justin Fields. In fact, when they took Justin Fields awkwardly out of the game mid-drive, Tyson Bajant ran onto the field. And preseason week three against Buffalo, Tyson was 7 for 14, had 43 yards passing. He did throw an interception. He ran for a touchdown. He should have had a touchdown pass, I believe. In fact, the play before his interception, he threw a beautiful ball to the end zone that got dropped by Steven Carlson. The interception was just kind of an awkward play where, I, you know, it's hard to know. I think there was a miscommunication with the receiver. Just Something wasn't right there. But a couple things really stand out about Tyson Bajent's story that I love. First of all, Tyson is putting Trey Lance, the former 49ers quarterback, now Cowboys quarterback, to shame. Everyone who watched Trey Lance struggle during the preseason this year said, Well, you know, he played Division I AA football, a lower level of college football at North Dakota State. It doesn't really translate to the NFL. Tell that to Tyson Bajan, who played at Shepard, who played teams like Ferris and College of the Mines. Tell me how... Division 1 double A doesn't translate to the NFL when we're watching Tyson Bajant go from Division 2 football to immediately playing in the NFL and looking fantastic. His mechanics, his timing, his movement in the pocket, he looks head and shoulders better than Trey Lance. So number one is that. He's, Tyson Bajant is putting a guy like Trey Lance to shame. You're like, man, this guy gets it. And it, the argument that, well, Trey Lance's level of college didn't help him, it certainly then didn't help this guy from Division Two college football, and yet he's playing great. I also just think it's a cool story. The story here with Tyson Bajant is, if you can play, like if you can truly play, everyone and their mother is going to say, I could have played college football. I could have done this. I could have done I am sure in my life, I've even said it. In fact, I'm sure I've said it on the show. If I was just a little taller, if I could have got the right opportunity, I would have found my way. Yeah. Okay. Well. Guys like me were delusional, right? <laughs> I did the best I could. I was five foot ten and a half, five foot ten and three quarters. But if you can play like Tyson Bajant can play, they'll find you. If you can truly play, they will find you. I have talked to a guy, Brian Scott, a former Division Three quarterback like me who played in the CFL. He's playing in the CFL right now. Went to the XFL. Now he's playing in the CFL. It's been really cool to watch him. Love Brian Scott, I love you, man. It's so cool to see you. If you can play, they will find you. Tyson Paget is a Division II quarterback who's probably going to be the backup in Chicago. I love the guy. He runs well. I, at times, wonder if he's a better passer than their starting quarterback, Justin Fields. Now, you can't ever bench him for Tyson Paget. That doesn't make sense. But, man, am I rooting for this guy. It's cool to see him do well. And, uh, if you can play, truly, if you can play, if you're actually a special player, they'll find you. And, uh, If there's nothing else you learned from this story, go watch Tyson Bajant in college. I actually think he's got better mechanics in the NFL. Whatever he did leading up to the NFL, his training, his preparation process, he looks like an even better quarterback than he did in college. It's very cool. Love this guy. Rooting for him. Undrafted free agent out of Shepard. Going to be the backup most likely in Chicago. And even if he's not truly the number two quarterback, if Justin Fields gets hurt for like, an extended period of time. If he's out for a couple plays and Nathan Peterman's a backup, they probably put in Nathan Peterman. But if he's out for the rest of the year, like week eight, I could see the Bears saying, we're going to play Tyson Bajant instead of Nathan Peterman because one guy's your backup short term who's prepared to step in for a couple plays. One guy's your backup with potential who's long term got a future in the NFL. And I think Bajant has more potential than Nathan Peterman. I watched USC play this past weekend. USC beat San Jose State 56-28. to Here are the main takeaways. Number one, their starting quarterback, Caleb Williams, USC's quarterback last year, Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback, likely next year's number one overall pick in the NFL Draft in 2024. He threw four touchdowns. He looked amazing, as he always does. I love Caleb Williams. He's great. Another guy that stood out was USC freshman receiver, Zachariah Branch. Zachariah is a branch on the way to, you know, Zach leads into Zachariah, so we already love him there, so that was kind of cheesy, but Zachariah Branch had two touchdowns, he had a touchdown catch, he also had a 96-yard touchdown on a kick return, which, well done there, we love that, I think I got the sound of applause, oh, wait, hold on, woo, Zachariah Branch, great kick return, I always wanted to play with that, we finally did, um, Here's the takeaway, though, the really big problem I saw in this football game. It was both a problem and it was fun to see. Chevin Cordero is a quarterback for San Jose State. He's a Hawaii kid. He loved it. He went to St. Louis. He actually played at Hawaii for a little bit, then he transferred out to San Jose State. He had three touchdowns. He looked fantastic. He actually ran for a first down in third and 22. While I was watching Chevin Cordero succeed and do well, I was like, this is so awesome. I love it. He's a Hawaii kid. Well done. I also had to face the reality that, once again, a Lincoln-Riley coach football team has a problem on defense. He had this problem at Oklahoma, this problem came along with him to USC, and now at USC, it's a typical USC team. They've got this amazing, incredible offense, and yet not a dominating defense. Hmm. Why isn't USC a national powerhouse yet? Do you know the answer? It's because they don't have a good defense. And the deeper answer to that might be, well, because they got a coach, doesn't hire the right defensive coordinator. I'm sure there's many layers there. But what separates Michigan and Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State, these teams at the top of college football with USC. USC's offense can hang with the best, but their defense repeatedly holds them back and they're the problem. And what I saw... In week zero of college football, watching USC play San Jose State, a team that should not score 28 points on a college football powerhouse. We saw that, oh yeah, the same problem persists at USC. The reason why they're not a national powerhouse like Michigan, like Ohio State, like Bama and Georgia, these teams at the top of college football, the reason why they're not a favorite to be in the college football playoff is because the defense at USC once again, is a problem. That will limit them this year. Here's another little fun thing. It's not worth much conversation, but there was actually a U.S. college football game played in Dublin, Ireland. Love it. Notre Dame played Navy, which is also interesting to see an American military school play in another country. That's a whole other level of interesting. But Notre Dame played Navy at Aviva Stadium, In Dublin, a soccer stadium. It was packed. It was fun. Very cool to see a Catholic school play in Ireland. Very on brand. And a school that their mascots labeled the Fighting Irish play a game in Ireland. You love to see it. Notre Dame won 42-3. to I just want to point it out. It's kind of cool. Like, oh, that's, that's, I saw that. I watched like 20 minutes and I was like, oh, this game's already over. It's garbage. But uh, it was cool to see the moment. The fans were really into it. The stadium was crazy. And uh, Notre Dame quarterback Sam Hartman finished the day 19 for 23 passing at 251 yards, four touchdown passes. So Sam Hartman had as many incompletions as he had touchdown passes on the day, which is, hey, another, let's see what again, round of applause for Sam Hartman. Woo! Yeah, we love that. Great for him. Uh, Sam Hartman's a guy that should be on your watch list if you're a college football fan or even an NFL fan who loves to see college quarterbacks become NFL quarterbacks. He's a guy leaving Wake Forest, going to Notre Dame that potentially Sam Hardman could be a first or second round pick in the NFL draft. And uh, he looked like one against Navy in week zero of college football. I don't like that by the way, week zero always thought it was weird. It's just an extension of week one. I'm not sure. I just never, I don't know why we do that. I don't know why we have week zero games, just teams trying to get more TV money and, put out a product before everyone else to get extra TV views, and I did watch it. And for a team like, if you're going to travel to Dublin, Ireland for a game, playing at week zero before week one, allowing your team an extra week to prepare going into your second game of the year, I think that makes sense, but week zero is kind of weird. Now, let's end the show this way. Um, I want to say something nice about Patrick Mahomes' wife, Brittany Mahomes. I have regularly criticized or made fun of Brittany Mahomes, Said, like, if I was married to her, she would drive me crazy. I talked about her during, during the Netflix docuseries Quarterback. Now, here's—I had kind of a—my girlfriend's visiting town. I don't know if this is—we didn't talk about this, her and me, but I, it, maybe this is what sent me down this train of thought. But I had a moment where I'm like, well, look, if my career goes the way I want, if I become this really successful sports podcaster the way I really want to be, I will be rich and somewhat famous. That'd be awesome. I w- Give me the money. I don't need to be rich. I just want lots of money. That would be great. Um, But what I I like, as I reflect on my relationship, I met my girlfriend at one of the lowest points of my entire life. Like, I know she's with me for me. She's definitely not with me for my money. (laughs) In fact, she's got her own career. She's doing well. I'm kind of the loser in the relationship who's just doing my best. Brittany Mahomes has been with Patrick Mahomes since high school. And I want you to think about this. Can you imagine being Patrick Mahomes and being single right now? You got a half a billion dollar contract. You've got a ton of money. You're the best quarterback in the NFL. Like, sure, Patrick Mahomes, if he was single, would get a lot of interest from women. But how would you know whether they like you for you or whether they like you for your money or your fame or your success? The answer is you wouldn't know. I know... A lot of, I've got a lot of friends in L.A., used to live in L.A., guys who are actors. They say that's one of the hardest things for them. It's not knowing whether people like them for them or whether they like them for their accomplishments and their career. And say what you want about Brittany Mahomes, but she was there from day one, from the beginning. And you know she likes Patrick for Patrick. So as someone who I've regularly made fun of Brittany Mahomes, because she does some cringy stuff. She does stuff that would irritate the living hell out of me if I was her partner. But before you suggest Patrick Mahomes gets a divorce from the woman he's got children with, who he's been dating since high school, remember that being single when you're rich and famous isn't everything. It's actually really difficult trying to find, like how does someone like Taylor Swift date? How, how do you find a guy who doesn't know Taylor Swift and isn't interested in Taylor Swift for reasons other than, hey, she's just a really cool person. Because everyone thought it. If you're listening, you're a guy listening to the show, you find out Taylor Swift is interested in you, you're like, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk. Let's figure this out. But you don't know anything about Taylor Swift, the person. You like the money, you like the status that would come with that. It's the same if you're dating and single for Patrick Mahomes. And so, that's the nicest thing I can think to say about Brittany Mahomes is she was there for, from day one and, you know, she got in early and she wasn't there for anything other than she liked Patrick. It wasn't about the money and the fame because she was there before all that stuff happened. And so um, I think it's kind of cool. Kind of a, a, a nod and a, a tip of the cap to Brittany Mahomes. The nicest thing I can think to say about a person who I regularly have kind of cracked fun at at times. Guys, my name is Zach Shomler. Thank you for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. That's been episode 569. Nice. Well done. Love you guys. See you tomorrow. Have a great day. And da, bam, we are